Well, this morning we're going to go ahead and continue our series on 1 Peter. And we're going to look at chapters 4 and 5 today. And I've entitled the message, Suffering and Serving. Because as we've gone through the, uh, these, this book of the Bible, we've noticed that there's, he talks a lot about suffering. And, uh, and if we look at what actually he's talking about, is this Peter is dealing with suffering in the church as far as persecution goes. If you notice, he's not talking about being sick. He's not talking about losing your job. He's not talking about that kind of suffering. And I thank God that God has provision for all those things that might happen in your life. But primarily, uh, Peter is dealing with persecution in the church. This was a time in the, the Roman Empire where Christianity is starting to pick up, and now the Roman Empire is starting to take notice. You know, They originally considered it part of, of uh, just a sect of Judaism, but now they're realizing its own thing, and it's, it's catching fire. And we know throughout history, we look at it, Christianity exploded, and became the largest city in the known world. I mean, God did some amazing things to those original apostles in the, the early church. So the next chapter, particularly chapter 4, deals some more with that suffering that that church was going through. Persecution, people were being imprisoned, they were levying charges against them. Can you imagine being a Christian, being illegal? They're going to throw you in jail just for being a Christian. You know, and, and we think about that today. To us, that just seems odd. That seems really strange that, I mean, we have freedom of religion in this country. No one can put us in jail for being a Christian. But I, I, uh, I get emails from, and I think it's ACLJ is what it's called. It's the Christian lawyer group there. And uh, they've been sending me emails about a guy named Pastor Saeed Abedini. And uh, he just finished a one-year sentence of an eight-year sentence. And guess what his charge was? Being a Christian in Iran. He's in jail for that. Matter of fact, they just finally got him medical treatment because they beat him pretty bad trying to get him to give up his faith and he had internal bleeding and they just finally got him some medical treatment. But this, this is real. This, this persecution is happening in the world. And, and like I said, we, we, have, we feel bad when someone teases us or they want to you know, slam the door in our face. But I mean, this guy's living it. You know, and, and, and I imagine he takes great comfort through reading through First Peter as, as he describes the suffering that you may go through, but that there's a hope at the end that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And then finally, he ends the chapter with, uh, in chapter 5, he ends the book with, uh, or the letter with uh, how we're to treat each other, how we're supposed to interact in the body of Christ. So let's go ahead and uh, start taking a look at all that. The first verse, the first uh, scripture I want to look at is 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. It's an interesting thing here because this uh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, the, the word that's used there is the exact same word that's used in Ephesians 6.13 when it says put on the full armor of God. He's actually talking about, it's, it's a reference to how a soldier would get ready for war and how the soldier would put their armor on. And as a soldier, they took great care when they, when they put on their armor. They made sure that it was on the right way. Because if they just put the front part of their armor on and left the back off, you know, they could get killed. They, they, were, they were vulnerable. Or if, as they were putting it on, they didn't latch it up correctly, it could fall off in the middle of the battle. If they, didn't, if they didn't take care with their armor and they didn't put it on correctly, there was a chance that it would cause them physical pain and, and ultimately even death if it wasn't put on correctly. And also, I mean, if you put on, put on armor correctly, incorrectly, say they put it on too tight or they bind your arms, you can't fight. I mean, you're trying to fight with your arms, but now it would be a little bit crazy. If the armor wasn't put on correctly, it limited their ability to be effective in battle. And it's the same in our life as Christians. If, if we don't arm ourselves correctly, then we can be less effective in battle. How many know that we're in a war right now? We are in a war with the enemy right now. The devil is out, not, not with people, but with powers and principalities. The devil is, is in a war, and he's not trying to win. How many know the devil is already defeated? He can't win. He's not, there's not some war between heaven and, and hell, and, and eventually there's this chance the devil could win. He can't. But you know what he can do? He can pull people away from the kingdom of heaven and he can deceive them. And that's his goal, is not to, not to beat God, but to take you with him. And we're in a war. So we need to have our armor on correctly. But it says that since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm ourselves with the same purpose. That doesn't mean that you guys need to get ready to go strap yourself to a cross. Just, just so you know. What he's talking about here is not... 
doing the same physical things that Jesus did. You don't need to go find yourself some, some, uh, some religious leaders to hang you up to, to pin you up to a tree. You don't need to go get yourself whipped. You don't need to get yourself killed. That's not what he's saying. But we arm ourselves with the same purpose by faith in Christ. The idea here is to have the same attitude that Christ had. So what is, what is the attitude that Christ had when he went to the cross? Do you remember when he was in, in the garden and he said, Lord, if there's anything that you can do to take this cup from me, God, Father, if you could take this away from me, do it. But not my will, your will be done. And that's the same attitude that we need to have in the body of Christ. We need to have that same attitude that if you know what, we're going to deal with some persecution, we're going to deal with it like Christ did. And he, he soldiered on, he kept moving forward. How many know that Jesus never gave up and ran away? And I thank God, because if he would have, we would have no hope. There would be nothing for us. So let's arm ourselves with the same purpose, to be willing to suffer for the kingdom of heaven, to be willing to put up with people that are going to persecute us and come against us. The truth is, this country's changing. Things are changing. And, and right now, we enjoy an incredible religious freedom, but there may be a time that we don't. So what are we going to do? Are we going to arm ourselves with the same purpose as Jesus? Or are we going to turn our backs on God and denounce our faith so we can live a little more comfortably? You know, there's like the saying, I've said it before, and obviously in Pastor Saeed's case, there was enough evidence to convict him. But if it was illegal to be a Christian today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And, uh, you know, I know I'm preaching to the, to the choir here. I know, that I'm not, I know everyone in here pretty well, and I, I know what kind of lives you guys lead. I know you guys' commitment, but it's always something that we have to be diligent and keep, keep thinking about it and be aware of that and, not, not be, and be careful not to fall back into uh, lazy ways. Amen. And then it says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. How many of us here have gone through a little bit of suffering and that changed our lives and made us quit sinning? Probably not any of us. You know, he's not talking about you know, if, if, if you'll just go through a little bit of pain, your life's going to be okay. You know, you'll miraculously begin to live a perfect Christian life if you'll just suffer a little bit. This suffering in the flesh has ceased from sin has to do with our, by faith, suffering with Jesus Christ. Because He suffered in the flesh, we are able to live a life without sin. Because He broke the bondage of sin and death over our lives, we are able to live without having that have, a, have any control in our lives. We are able to live without sin because He did, and He lives inside of us. Amen? Amen. So I started talking about by faith that we have died and rose again with Him, and that's how we suffer with Christ is by faith. If you go and look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3-7, through 7, it says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? This word baptism here being used here has to deal primarily with being associated with Jesus Christ. Paul's probably also referring to the act of baptism as well as you get put under the water. That represents you dying and being buried with Christ. And as you're pulled back out of the water in baptism, that represents your resurrection with Christ and you have a brand new life. But he's also talking about we are associated with Christ. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. You know, the chief priests at the time, they would determine that Jesus was never going to exit that grave. Do you guys remember the story? They, they heard stories that he was going to raise again on the third day, so they went to the Roman authorities and said, give us some soldiers so we can guard the tomb. So they put a big seal across the tomb, and, and you know, the seal carried the weight of Caesar. And if anybody broke that seal, it was certain death for them. And then they took armed soldiers and put them in front of the grave because they didn't want Jesus getting out. They didn't want him coming back to life. But the truth is that the, the death couldn't hold Jesus down. And he, was, he rose again to a new life, a brand new life. And that life is what's been deposited inside of us. And we're able to live that same life by faith through him. And how do I know it's by faith? Because raise your hand here if anybody's been crucified and physically died, put in a tomb, and came back to anybody? I didn't think so. Just wanted to make sure I don't know all of you that, all of you that well. But the truth is that 
if that's the case, how can we be united with him? How can we be united with him, buried with him through baptism into death? How can we be united with him in his death and also the likeness of his resurrection? It's by faith that we are resurrected with him. It's by faith that we believe that he took the sin or he took the, the pain and the suffering that we deserved for our sin. He took that and paid the price so that we wouldn't have to. Amen? And then it says, in order that our body of sin might be done away with. I wanted to point this out because this doesn't mean that your, your, your meat bucket, your flesh is, is sinful. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the rule that sin had over your body. Your body, there was a time that sin ruled your body. Matter of fact, there was nothing you could do. It, it ruled and reigned in your life. And until you accepted Jesus... There was nothing you could do. Matter of fact, that was the problem in the Old Testament. That's why there was a new covenant, because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't free their body from that. They wanted it. Paul began to speak about, before he got saved, he said, you know, I wanted to do the right things, but it was the sin inside of me that caused me to do these bad things. But the truth is, once you have Jesus inside of you, that's been done with. Because for he who has died is free from sin. I always, uh, every time I read this, I always think of the old mobster movies when, when the cousin or something does something stupid and the family disowns him. You're dead to me. Because obviously he didn't really die, but they've shunned him. As far as they were concerned, he was dead to them. And they had no more association, no more benefits from the family, no more anything. And that's the same thing that we have here. We're dead to sin. Sin has no input in our life. It has no possibility to have a, a hold of us unless we give it that opportunity. You know that there's some uh, uh, Muslim countries that if you become a Christian, they actually, they actually have a funeral for that relative. And they consider them dead. And in the same way, that's how sin is to us. It is dead to us completely. There's a classic leadership cartoon from Mary Chambers and uh, there's two couples sitting on a couch facing each other and one of the ladies leans over in the Bible study and she says, well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. You know, that's the difference between real faith and just reading about it in a book, amen? I mean, if you have a revelation of what happened to you with Christ, then you were dead to sin and you were completely free. If you don't have faith in what Christ did to you, then you're kind of like this lady. You're trying to do the right things, but you seem to not be able to fail. I, I, my, my early Christian life, for 20 years I did that, my whole life. I knew about Christ and I believed he died, but I never took hold of by faith that I was made a brand new person. And I would lay in bed at night and I would lay out my laundry list of sins. God, please forgive me for this. Please forgive me for this. Please forgive me for this. And I'd go to sleep feeling pretty good. I was forgiven. And then I'd wake up and do them all again the next day. Every night, the same list. But it wasn't until I took hold of by faith that I, my old man was dead and buried with Jesus. And I'm, I'm a brand new man. And my life began to change. And I began to live a godly life. Not by my power, but by the power in him. Amen. Then in 1 Peter 4, 3-6, through 6, it says, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, darkness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Sounds like college, huh? In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that they are judged in the flesh as of men. They may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. You know, when we were part of this world, before you accepted Jesus into your life, you did worldly things. You did, I know I did, maybe you guys didn't, but I did all kinds of stupid before I got saved. And the truth is that, that when, you're, when you're a child of the ruler of this world, a child of darkness, you do this kind of stuff. You know, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drink parties, abominable idolatries. But Peter's saying that now that you are saved, that you have a new life inside of you, that time is gone. You know, you had that time to do those things. Now let's start living for the kingdom of God. Amen. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit 
of our God. Now we hear that laundry list of stuff and sometimes we look at our life and we think that maybe we can identify with some of that stuff even to a small extent. But Paul's not saying that if you mess up that you're going to hell. What he's, the, the main thing in that verse that says, such were some of you. Basically he's saying, this is who you were, but this is who you are now. Now if that's who you were, why are you still acting like it? Act like who you are, not like who you were. Amen? Such were some of you. And then he goes on to say that in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the excess of dissipation, and they malign you. You know, I think we had a great discussion at Wednesday night at our Bible study. We talked about how people react to the change in your life. You know, I know for me, when I became a Christian, the people that knew me the best when I was younger thought it couldn't be true. They thought that, that it, it must not be true. That's the, I know you. I know who you were. And I say, yes, you know who I was. But who I am now is grounded in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And it says that they will, they will be surprised that you don't want to run with them. The, the people that you used to hang out with and, and used to, to do all kinds of stuff with, they're going to be surprised that you don't want to do that with them anymore. And some of them will even malign you. Some of them will begin to call you names. They'll begin to talk bad about you and talk behind your back. But the truth is that you are a brand new person. And what I find even more interesting is that many people, while they'll mock you openly, realize that they have, a whole, they, they have that same hold that you had. Secretly, they're envious of what you had going on. Secretly, they want it, but because of what they want to look like in front of their friends, they begin to, to mock you and give you a hard time. Have you ever had a friend that when you're one-on-one, -on -one, you can talk to them, but as soon as you get around other people, they put on that facade, that toughness? And then it continues on here. It says, <clears throat> For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. You know, Paul here is speaking to, is speaking of these, these Christians that have went out, and they were judged in the flesh by men. And there were, there were men, there were, there were uh, early Christians were being killed by the Roman Empire. They were being killed at this time. It says, for this reason the gospel has been preached, so that even though that they are dead, they were judged in the flesh as men, they were judged by local governments, they may live on in spirit according to the will of God. You see, that's an encouragement that no matter what we go through here, you know, if there ever comes a time where you're going to get thrown in prison and killed for your faith, the encouragement then is even though you're judged by men here, that ultimately you'll be judged by God and you will live on in the Spirit. Amen? The truth is, the people who judge you here, they think that everything's going great now, but there's going to come a day, you know, when Jesus comes back, they're going to realize what they missed out on. The Bible says every knee will bow. They're not going to go to hell not knowing that they had a choice. They'll understand. And this judging here, it's not talking about God judging these men. It's talking about men judging these men. Because in John 3.18 it says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Begotten Son of God. You see, if you're a Christian, you are not judged. Why are you not judged? Because you were already judged in Jesus. You know, there, there is a price for sin. There is a penalty. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid that price for you. Therefore, when you stand before the Father, you'll not be judged according to sin. You will give an account for what you've done, but it won't have anything to do with sin. And then it says that those who don't believe have been judged already. Because there is no, there is no well, you lived a pretty good life, so you're only getting a half sentence. You either accepted Jesus as your Savior or you didn't. Amen? Then in 1 Peter 4, 7-9, through 9, it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. How many know the end is near? I mean, we're, we're coming up to end times. I don't know if it's going to be another thousand years or two thousand years, but it's coming. This world is falling apart around us. And we have a choice. We can get all freaked out and crazy and live in fear and do all kinds of, of ridiculous things. Or we can do as Peter, Peter uh, encouraged us to do is be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer.
Basically, Peter's saying, the end is coming, keep your cool. You know, I was just talking to my son yesterday. He was, he was watching a, uh, a thing on Mythbusters about what to do if your car goes into a river and starts to go underwater and how you get out. And what do you think the first advice that they give to people if you want to get out of a car that's, that's going, yeah, stay calm. If you don't stay calm, you won't make it. You won't be able to have a clear head to know what to do. Well, the truth is that we're in a car and it's sinking underwater in this world right now. It's going down. Stay calm. Be of sober spirit and you're going to get out. You're going to make it through. Because you can't be effective if you're acting a fool. You can't be effective if you start grabbing on to other stuff. You start looking at other religions. Maybe they have the end. You can't be effective if your mind is going every single way. The only way you can be effective is if you keep cool. Be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So you can pray effectively. You know, you can, you can thank God for strengthening you and encouraging you instead of begging God to do all kinds of different things which have nothing, no, no foundation in Scripture. We pray like they prayed in the Bible. And then he goes on to say, but above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And be hospitable to one another without complaint. Keep fervent in your love for one another. I don't know, if you read the Gospels particularly, and as you read the New love is a pretty big deal to God. I mean, God cares that we love for one another. Matter of fact, he, he we're made in His image, and He loved us. Therefore, we love others. Paul said, I, 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 I choose not to know any of you except for in Christ. He just, I don't care about who you were, what you did. I just see Christ inside of you, and I love you. In John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, this loving one another, it's not just a good idea. It's not just a gentle suggestion. It's a commandment that we love one another. And the Bible says that they should know us by it. You know, you can't love somebody deep inside. You can't love somebody if you don't ever talk to them. You can't love somebody if you don't ever spend time with them. Love is visible, right? Love is something that can be seen when you, when you express yourself towards other people in the body of Christ. And then he says, this covers a multitude of sins. This has always been an interesting verse to me, and I think I've, I've taught on it before, but you know, I've always been taught that what Jesus did covered the multitude of sins. What Jesus did was complete, and that's true. You know what? Salvation, forgiveness of sins, was completely wrapped up in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean then, that it covers a multitude of sins? Now, how many of you know that uh, there's a chance that I might offend you someday? Probably a pretty good chance. People will mess up. People will do dumb things. So what's going to cover that? Are you going to be offended? Or is your love for me, because of Christ, going to cover that sin? You know, someone, in, I mean, you guys, a lot of you guys are family. I know you guys have offended each other. Because I got family. I know how that works. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, ain't nobody can make me madder than my sister. I tell you that. But love covers that. I, I forgive her and I love her. That's how family works. And that's how it works in the body of Christ as well. That's how love covers a multitude of sins. Because that makes it so we don't become offended and run away and blame God for what happened. And, and, but we understand that, yeah, people do crazy things. People, people are going to let you down. I'm probably going to let you down. I pray to God that I don't. And I'll do everything in my power not to. But th there's a chance that I would let you down, even as your pastor. But the truth is, that that's where love comes in. Because I will continue to love you no matter what happens. And as Christians, we resolve to do the same to everybody. We love each other. And we encourage each other. And we support one another. And that's how love covers a multitude of sins. And then it ends with, be hospitable to one another without complaint. I'll tell you what, I'm so blessed by the people in this congregation because this hasn't been a problem. You know, George and Anita, you guys offer your home every Wednesday night without complaint. That's, you know, that's the big thing, without complaint. That you do it with a joyful and loving heart. 
And I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity. And you know what? You, you could probably have reason to complain. Matter of fact, me and George were just talking yesterday about, about you know, what I have to do to get ready for Sunday morning and the stuff that you guys have to do to get ready for Wednesday. That's not, you know, people are coming over. You want to get the house clean, make sure stuff's ready. That's a lot of work. How I many? it would be easy to complain about that. Exactly. Be hospitable. Love one another without complaint. I'm, that's amazing, you know. And do you guys remember when we went to have the uh, the picnic at the park and start storming and raining and and la- literally last minute, like we tried to hold out, we tried and it's gonna pass, and we did. It didn't pass. Well, until we left. As soon as we left, it quit raining. So last minute, we run over to Joseph's house, and they tried to shut the power off so we leave, but we came in anyway. <laughs> just, just get power failure right before we get there. How many know that? That now we're, we're traps in mud through their house because it's raining. But they opened their home. They were hospitable without complaint. They didn't let us use any electricity, but they let us. <laughs> but praise God, it was a great time because, you know, I, I'm so blessed by the people here because you guys have a heart for God. And I just want to say thank you to all of you because I know that's all of your heart in this room. Then in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as the good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Each one of you has a gift that you can use to, to impact the body of Christ. In Romans 12, 6 through 8, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, one who exhorts in his exhortation, one who gives with liberality, one who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, I've seen these gifts in every single one of your lives. I've seen the love that you care for. I love hearing stories about how you guys are talking to people at work. And we just visited Jessica at her home and had the opportunity to minister into her life. And, and uh, it's amazing to see the growth in you guys since we've started. And I see that you guys are serving one another. But each of us has a special gift. And, and, and what we're supposed to do is use that for the kingdom of God. You know, and, and I can talk about what's happened in my life, and, and I've, I've told you before, I got a little prideful about all the stuff that I could do, and I recognize now that it's God's given me the ability to do these things. I'm pretty good with technology. So now I'm running websites and helping build stuff for, for Bible colleges. I'm, you know, I, I learned how to play guitar and I can sing a little bit. So I use it to benefit the kingdom of God. And I, I, God's given me these gifts, and God has given each and every one of you gifts like that. And some of it is, is stuff that's easy to see, like singing or, or building websites. And some of it's you know, the gift of hospitality, the gift of welcoming someone into your home. That's not an easy thing. You know, you guys make food for everybody. You know, we have, you guys are making food for, for the Wednesday nights. I mean, it's, and Julie brings food. I mean, everybody is just using their gifts to benefit the kingdom of, of God. And that's what we're called to do. Praise God. But the truth is, the purpose of these gifts is to serve one another. It's not to defeat our own ego. It's not to, to uh, go ahead and, uh, and you know, look, look at me, look how good I am. But it's, it's to serve the body of Christ. And I thank God that we don't do it from our own strength, but it says that we do it as, by the strength which God supplies. And I thank God for that, because I think if I had to do all the stuff that I had to do on my own strength, my world would crumble. <laughs> You know, I, I couldn't do it. And I thank God God has given me that, that strength. And then ultimately, as we employ the gifts that God has given us, it's to glorify Jesus. In all that we do, we do it so that Christ can be glorified. Amen. Then in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. You know, the Bible says that 
if we're persecuted, if we go through a fire ordeal, that we're not to think it's strange. We're not. To, I, there's a couple reasons for that. One, that's the, the the enemy would love to think it's only happening to you. That you are somehow different. That God doesn't like you. You're going through some tough time. People are persecuting you at work, or people are persecuting you on the street because God doesn't like you. That's the, the enemy would love to isolate you and make. You, but the truth is, you know, Paul, Peter's saying, "Don't be surprised. It's going to happen." You know, as we look at our country around us, as things start getting worse and worse, and and uh, I mean, don't be surprised if things change. But thank God that, that God has a better plan for us, that God has uh, stuff in mind for us. And the other reason is, do you remember in John 15, 18, when Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it had hated you. The truth is, this world is going to hate you because it hates Jesus. And if you don't think it hates Jesus, most people will let you talk about God all day long in front of them. But you mention Jesus, oh no. You know, it's, it, it makes a difference. You know, I'm saddened when I look at stuff that's happening in the government as, as, as Christ is pushed out of schools, as, as Christ is pushed out of the government, as, 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 he's, as he's pushed away. I'm saddened, but I'm not surprised. And it's going to get worse. But I thank God that God is for me, and God is for each and every one of you, amen? He says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, like we talked about earlier in Romans, he read, uh, Paul took uh, the time to show how we share in the sufferings of Christ. We don't share in the sufferings of Christ. You know, it's not talking about when you get persecuted. It's talking by faith. We share in the sufferings of Christ by faith. What he's already gone through, we've gone through by faith in him because we've been united in him. Amen? And to that degree, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. It boils down to this. If by faith you share in his suffering with him and you've been given a brand new life inside of you, basically his life was given to you, rejoice for that. Because you will be rejoicing with exultation and in the day of his revelation. Basically when Christ comes back, everyone's going to say, oh, it was real. (laughs) And you'll rejoice because you were right there with Christ. You have the same life as him. But if you don't share in that, in that same, if you don't share in the sufferings by faith, rejoicing is probably not a good idea. And you sure as heck aren't going to be rejoicing when he returns. You will bow. You know, the world is going to bow to Jesus, but they won't be rejoicing because they're going to, have, they're going to see that they finally missed out on. You know, that's why that we've, is our goal as a church is to go out there and, and, and we try to reach people. We try to, to invite people to church. We hand out flyers. We're going to do this outreach on Halloween. It's because if we can talk to them now, if they'll bow their knee to Jesus now, if they'll give them their life now, then they'll be saved. But if they don't, you know, we have friends and family members that are going to go to hell if we don't take the time to, to speak to them and to, and to let them know about Jesus and give them the opportunity. Now, it's not your responsibility that they accept it, but it is your responsibility that they have the opportunity to. Amen? You know, I thank God that by this free gift and by faith, and we can grab hold of of this rejoicing with exaltation. We're going to be able to spend time the rest of our lives in heaven with Jesus. And that there will be no weeping on that day. Amen. First Peter 4, 14 through 16, it says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. It's always tough when you read stuff like this, that if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because sometimes it doesn't feel like blessing when, when you're being persecuted. You know, I was just talking to uh, a buddy of mine in the men's meeting yesterday, Charlie, and he was talking about that uh, he just had to go through some meetings that, uh, he's in the Air Force, he had to go through a bunch of meetings on on the rules for basically religion, sharing your faith and all that stuff. And he says there's been times, especially in the beginning, in his, his uh, passion for Christ and 
probably doing things a little bit unwise, and he would stand in front of his leaders, and he'd be like, you're persecuting me. I'm like, we're not persecuting you. You need to follow the rules. He's like, no. He would tell him, you're persecuting me, and I understand. I'm going to go through this. But how many know that when you're standing in front of your boss, especially in the Army, it's not, I mean, you can't just quit the Army. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit different uh, tension in that, that situation that, he probably didn't feel all that blessed at that moment. <laughs> you know, there's a part of him that said, you know, if I would have just shut up and not tell me about Jesus, I wouldn't be in this situation. But the truth is that you are blessed. One, you're going to receive a reward. And when you stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. For a little while you were in some various trials, but now you're going to receive glory for what you've done. But the Spirit of God is with you when you're through that. Matter of fact, do you, do you remember it says that if you stand before kings, don't worry about what to say because God will give you the words to speak? The Spirit of God is on you. The Spirit of glory and God rests with you when you go through those times. God is with you. Don't be afraid, but take solemn in the fact that God is with you. And then it says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. You know, if you get in trouble for that kind of stuff... It, you know, there's consequences for our actions. You know, praise God, if you, if you were to, to murder somebody, and we've talked about people that I know that have and have been restored, that, that God will forgive you. God will forgive you. You spending time in prison is not because God didn't forgive you, it's because there's consequences to your actions, amen? But he says that don't suffer for that kind of stuff. And what I find interesting here is that don't suffer as a murderer, thief, evildoer, troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian. Christian was a charge brought against people back in those times. It was, you know, it was just like uh, you, know, you, you went to, stood before trial because you were a murderer or you stood before trial because you were a Christian. It was actually a charge levied against people. And I find that amazing. But Peter wanted to encourage them that if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but, don't, but glorify God in this name. What is this name? Glorify God for being a Christian. The early church, Christian was an insult. And over time, it became a badge of honor that you could say that you were a Christian. As a matter of fact, today, it's what we're known as Christians. Amen? Then in 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You know what? Throughout judgment from men and persecution on this earth, we might suffer. But if as believers we're going through this tough time, we're being you know, persecuted by men, being put under judgment by men, what are they going to end up going through? There's going to be time that they're going to stand before God. And the Bible says they've already been judged. You know, the truth is that if it's difficult for us, what is it going to be like for them? And that should make us not stand in like, oh yeah, they're going to get theirs. That should make us weep. Because we have something that they, that they, that they need, that they want. Some don't even know they want it. You know, the fact that there are people that are going to hell should, should make you just distraught on the inside because Christ loved them, and so do we. You know, persecution, do you remember the scripture that says that uh, God disciplines those that are his, his children? You know, there's, there's a lot of people that, that misrepresent that verse, they misunderstand it, they think that, oh, if, if I get sick, that's God disciplining me, maybe because I didn't read my Bible enough, or I should have gone to church, that's why I got cancer. And that's ridiculous. You want to know how I know that's not what he's talking about? It says God disciplines his children. Who also gets cancer? Unbelievers, right? So if it's happening to unbelievers, God's not disciplining those that aren't his children. So we can know that if it's happening to both of us, it's not God disciplining us. But you know what does happen to Christians alone? Persecution. Now, I don't believe that God is standing with a list of people and saying, you need to go and, and harm these people or do bad things, but God does use persecution to shape us into what we need to be. You remember the early church, God said, uh, go out into all the world and make disciples. And the early church sat in Jerusalem for 
a long time. It wasn't until persecution came and scattered them that they finally began to do what God asked them to do. You know, God, God allows us to go through persecution because it actually allows us to make an impact on those around us. You know, when people are persecuting you and you stand in faith and you don't, you don't call them names, you don't revile them, you don't do stuff that they expect people to do, but you just show them Christ's love, you're making an impact in their life. They're wondering, what is different about him? And they begin to say that they, they begin to see that that's something that they want for their life, that difference. And then he goes on to say, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? You know, the truth is that he's not saying it, that it's difficult for God to save us. I mean, God's not struggling for you to make it into heaven. Matter of fact, it's done. It's paid for. Sin is paid for. But what is difficult is for us to be humble and turn ourselves towards God. And even those of us that have came to God, there's still people that struggle with that. And if it's difficult even for believers sometimes to give everything to God, what's going to happen to the godless man and the sinner? They're going to end up in hell. And like I said, that, shouldn't, that, should, that should make us have all the more passion to go out and preach this gospel to, to, the, to this world. I think, you know, we are, we are been put here in Marana for a divine, appointment to, a divine appointment to reach those around us so we can make an impact in their life. And then finally it says that we should entrust our soul to the faithful creator in doing what is right. Paul said it like this. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, it says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me. This is when he was uh, in prison. He's writing to Timothy. So he said, don't be ashamed of that testimony of me for being in prison. Just like Peter said, he said, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. He says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and, and immorality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I thank God that we can trust God, and that we know that he's not going to let us down. Like I said earlier, men will let you down, but God never will. David said, I was young, but now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken. God will never let you down. As we go into chapter 5, Peter, Peter begins to speak on how we're to behave, how we're to serve in the kingdom, in the, in the church, in the body of Christ. 1 Peter 5, 1-5, it says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherds appear, you will receive to the unfading crown of glory. And younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love shepherding being used as an analogy for leaders in the church. And when he starts talking about leaders and the elders among you, I just want you to know that each and every one of you in this room is a leader in some aspect. There are people who look up to you. There are people that you have influence in your lives. And everybody is leading somebody. And shepherding is such a great analogy for leaders in the body of Christ because the shepherd would fight every danger that came against his sheep. The shepherd would, would corral them at night and sleep in the gate to the corral so that no wolves or bears or anything could get in. He, he staked his life to protect his sheep. He guided them to safety. He led them to food and water. And his sole priority was the health and well-being of the flock. And I take that very seriously. And I care about each and every single one of you. But even as leaders in your own sphere of influence, that should be how you're dealing with people around you as well. We're to be examples. Right here he says that, uh, where to go? It says right here, not yet is lording over this allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me just also as I am of Christ. Can you say the same thing to those who look up to you? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Because if you're not imitating Christ, you really don't want to be setting an example for somebody else. Amen? And this elder in the church, it doesn't mean age. There's plenty of uh, silver saints that are just as immature as, as those who have just come to the Lord. This is talking about people that are mature in the faith. And there are many young Christians who are very mature in their faith, even though they don't have years under their belt. Then it goes on to say, younger men, be subject to your elders. Why would you be subject to your elders? Because this is the command that was given to them. They care for you. They're looking out for you. Your well-being is their sole priority. And it's a commandment in the Bible. So trust them. Amen? And then finally it says, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I think we all know the saying, pride comes before the fall. Amen? You know, we, we, we work together. The reason why there's leadership in the body is because there would be chaos without it. We submit to our leaders not because that there's, you know, you don't submit to a pastor because there's something better, better about him than you. There's nothing about me that's any better than any of you in this room. Matter of fact, that uh, I'm a fellow partaker in the glory of God. Peter was just saying right here, he's a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He said he's your fellow elder. However, there is still a leadership structure because nothing can be accomplished in chaos, in anarchy, amen? So it's not because someone's better than you or someone is more spiritual than you or anything else like that, but it's just that the the position that God has given us so we can be effective in the body of Christ, amen? Then in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, it says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, humbling ourselves is a simple concept but sometimes difficult to do. But all being humble before God means to, to recognize your dependency on Him. Quit trying to do everything yourself and realize that God has a plan for your life and that He wants what's best for you and He will work in your life if you'll let Him. And then He says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Casting is a decisive action. You know, it doesn't say walk as close to God as you can and your anxieties will jump off on Him. It says you have to cast your anxiety, give them to him, and he will take them. He will bear the load because he cares for you. My mom had a, a prophetic word about her when I was growing up in another church. I was a teenager, and, and uh, someone said, you know, I, I see you, somebody walking up to you with a cart, and you're walking down the road with a heavy load, two bags of heavy potatoes on your back, and someone's coming with a cart, and he offers to give you a ride. So you get up in the cart, but you never put the potatoes down. You just keep them on your back. And many of us are like that with God. God's with us and says, I will be with you. Let me carry some of that load. And we get up and sit down beside him, but we never put it down. We still carry it ourselves. But God says, cast your anxiety on me. I care for you. And then 1 Peter 5, 8-11, see, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Must be pretty important when he says it a couple times, Amen. Seeking someone, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 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 I thought I was going to make it through as twice now that I've recognized you've probably got a bigger list. I have this thing where I, I can't speak through a whole sermon without twisting words. One of these days, by the grace of God, I'll make it through one, and you guys will have a heart attack. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the grace of God, which called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. A.M. A.M. I'm just going to start cutting this stuff out of the recording. Just tell you, that didn't happen. Listen. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> you know, we have to be sober and be on the alert because bad things will happen if you let your guard down. I was reading from 1998 to 2003, there was 35 documented cases of animals escaping from the Los Angeles Zoo. <clears throat> and not, some got out into like external, uh, external cages, but a lot of them even got out on the streets. They made it out. In almost every case, the... The, 
it was recorded that the reason they escaped was because of some lapse of attention by the zookeepers. There was basically, they stopped paying attention, they stopped being diligent, and the animals snuck out behind them and got loose. And the same thing happens in our Christian walk, that if we're diligent, we're unstoppable because our focus is on God and, and He gives us the strength to overcome everything that would come against us. But it's when we begin to be sloppy and be a little less diligent and, and you know, we go, well, maybe this show won't be that bad. I'll go ahead and watch it. Or, or maybe this won't be that bad. Or we start justifying and doing stuff like that. That uh, Things get sloppy. And, and the Bible says that the devil's roaring around like a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. The devil wants you dead. Don't give him any excuse or any opportunity. Amen. So how do we resist the devil? One, we are sober of spirit. We be on the alert. And finally, we resist him firm in our faith. You know, the shield of faith is what extinguishes the, darts, the, the fiery darts of the, of the enemy. Amen. It's our faith that we can resist the enemy. And then in Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, the truth is that if we suffer for a little while now, that we're going to grow. We will be perfected in Him, confirmed, strengthened, and established. Christ is with us, ready to give you the support you need. And if we suffer persecutions, lean on Him. Just like Paul said in Romans, that it's, it's that builds character and from proven character, hope. And that hope does not disappoint. Amen. And the last scripture we'll look at is the, the last scriptures of, of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And this finishes the letter from Peter. It says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. You know, all these books in the Bible that we read bound in one volume are just letters that the early apostles wrote to the churches that they were pastoring at, that they were helping at, or letters they wrote to the pastors they had left in place. And uh, in this case, you know, Silvanus was probably a scribe, friend of, friend of Peter's, and he's writing for him. But he says that I've written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. First Peter is a letter of encouragement. First Peter is a letter saying that, you know what, stuff's going to happen. You might deal with some persecution. You might deal with suffering. But know this, that God is with you. God is for you. He is on your side and he'll get you through it. And you'll be glorified for what you go through. We're to stand fast in that. And the grace of God will be evidence to a fallen world. If we stand firm and fast in what Peter has taught, encouraging to stand rightly and do the right thing and show the love of Christ, that the grace of God will be evidence through your life to a fallen world. Finally, the world will see that they can have the same peace, peace be to you all who are in Christ, that we share. And we can have, give that as, a, as an opportunity for them to receive that free gift if we'll only stand firm. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.